When I say the word serve, what comes to your mind? I guess uh, when I say that word, I can't help but think about uh, people in the armed forces or people in the military. Certainly that always comes to my mind when I think about serving. Someone that's uh, in law enforcement, something like that. But probably when we say the word serve, we think of some kind of work, don't we? A lot of times we think about people maybe uh, that work at a store or a business. We say that they have customer what? Customer service. What about the word sacrifice? When I say the word sacrifice, what comes to your mind? Well, again, I think probably what comes to my mind has to is law enforcement, military personnel. I for sure think of those. If serve sounds a lot like work, sacrifice really sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? In fact, when I say sacrifice, it's starting to begin to lean towards cost. Sacrifice even starts to sound a little bit like some pain is going to be involved. I want to contrast those two words with this. When I say the word joy, what comes to your mind? When I think of joy, I think of laughter. I think of happiness. I think of contentment. I think of fulfillment, enthusiasm. But I want to ask you tonight, would you take those two ideas, okay? So we're talking about service, we're talking about sacrifice, those two ideas. Would you take those that seem more like work or cost involved, and would you have put those two together with the idea of joy? Probably most of us wouldn't think of those as going together. Tonight is the next in our series of messages called Finding True Joy. We're studying actually the New Testament book of Philippians where we're we're trying to understand how to find true joy in our lives. How do I find contentment? How do I find fulfillment in my life? And tonight we're going to learn about something that might seem strange to us, especially living in a culture that sometimes seems so me-focused, so individualistic, so what's in it for me. Tonight we're going to learn from God's Word that we can find joy in serving. There's joy in serving other people. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 18. And as we begin to look at those verses tonight, the first thing that Paul gives to us in those verses is a challenge. He challenges us as he's uh, again walking through this letter that he's writing to this church. He, he, he begins speaking to them about, uh, obviously, joy is a theme that he's emphasizing throughout this book. As he talks about joy and serving, first of all, he gives them a challenge to think like a servant. Write that down. Paul says that we should think like a servant, verses 1 through 4. I heard somebody say this one time, you don't know what kind of servant you are until you get treated like one. Amen? You don't know what kind of servant you're made of until somebody treats you like one. Honestly, being treated like a servant doesn't feel very good, does it? I mean, if you think about your workplace, if your boss treats you that way, or if some of your coworkers treated you that way, or maybe it's at home. I mean, what if your spouse treated you like a servant? Or what if your kids, and some of your parents say, yeah, sometimes that's how I feel, Like, I'm just the servant around here. I'm just like, whatever y'all need. Here I am, right? I think maybe the reason we feel like that sometimes is because we feel like we're being disrespected, aren't we? 
We feel like that we're not being appreciated. And let me be clear, as we're talking about being a servant tonight, God is not calling us to be doormats for someone else. But there is something to this idea of a servant attitude. Look at what Paul says in verses 1 through 4. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, before we look at the specifics here, and it's packed full of things that we can look at here, let me remind us of the bigger picture. Paul is saying, I've had some rough things going on in my life, okay? First of all, where is Paul writing from? He's writing from jail, okay? And he's writing from jail because he's been falsely accused. He's trying to serve the Lord. And there's people that that don't know the Lord out there in the larger community, out there in the world that are accusing him of things or that don't like what he's doing. And he's in jail. And then there's also, we talked about some friendly fire. There's some people that are supposed to be, supposed to be on the same team as Paul. And they're kind of causing him some hardship. And now he finds out that he might lose his life over the whole thing. Paul says, I've had some rough things going on. And apparently, the Philippians had had some rough things going on. I'm not really going to dig into that tonight because we're going to see some of that develop as we study this letter that he writes to them. But Paul says, let me share with you what kind of attitude will help both of us get through the situations that we're in. He says, therefore, as we think about all of that, he says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any consolation, any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, now all of those words, I would encourage you, if you want to dig a little deeper, go back. All of those words in verse 1 are packed with meaning. We're just going to kind of touch on them, but you could go back and study them, study them more in depth. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, that's an important word in the New Testament for helping someone else in a meaningful way. Okay, encouragement. He says, if there is any comfort, that word means to speak softly in someone else's ear, and it basically gives the idea of a close relationship or really caring about another person. He says, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any oneness, if we share anything together in this relationship of Christ, he says, if there is any affection and compassion, and I've shared with you before earlier in the book that that was a word that they used that really just kind of meant their guts, something deep in their guts. It was kind of meant their stomach, okay? It was basically saying the deepest feeling that I can describe. If there is anything meaningful about all of this, okay, here's what Paul's saying. In the midst of all the challenges that we're facing, anybody in here facing any challenges? Paul says, in the midst of all the challenges that I'm facing, that you guys are facing in Philippi, and anybody else who's reading this, even maybe as you're seeking to follow God, which they were, right? If there is any reason to keep going, any reason 
that this is all worth it. And by the way, Paul uses a phraseology there that when he says, if there is any reason, actually, it's written in a way to say, since there is. Well, and I don't want to be confusing here, but basically, he's writing it in a way where it sounds like if, but you could put at the end of that, and there is. Okay, so, so here's how we could say this. If there is any encouragement in Christ, and Paul says, and there is. If there is any consolation, any comfort of love in our relationship with Him, and there is. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is. If there's, any, if there's anything that has any meaning at all. If this is worth doing, and it is, Paul says. He says, make my joy complete. Now this is significant. Here is a mature servant of God who says the way that he gets joy in his life. I kind of need to perk up and pay attention, don't you? How does Paul get joy? He says, make my joy complete. Make mine full by doing some things. Okay? So again, let's follow follow what Paul's saying. You can make all of these challenges that you're concerned about. Paul says, I know you guys are concerned about me. Am I doing okay? Am I making uh, everything? Is it working out for me? You can make all of this worth it to me if you'll do something for me. I want to challenge you guys to think like servants. That's what he says to these people. How does he describe that? Look at verses 2 through 4. I want you to write down two things. First, first of all, what should we do? And then secondly, Paul says what we should not do. What should we do? Paul says in verses 2 through 4. Now, he says, You can make my joy full by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, those words in verse 2 are really extraordinary words. Really, where he says, by being of the same mind, he's, he, you could translate that by thinking the same way. Or maybe by being like-minded. Or all of those, I was trying to think of a way that, that makes sense to us. Thinking the same way, kind of in our context, sounds like you're just telling people how to think. And that's not what they're saying. Uh, being like-minded maybe makes sense. Maybe how about this agreement? Does that sound... Does that make sense? Paul says, by being in agreement with one another, you can make my joy complete. He says, I want you to love the same things. Have a heart for the same kind of things. And and that could actually be love the same things or love in the same kind of a way, God's way. And then he says, I want you to be united in spirit. Actually, literally, it says one-souled. Not S-O-L-D. S-O-U-L-E-D. Okay? I want you, you can give me great joy as a servant of God if you guys will begin thinking like this. Have a heart, have a soul that is united together. And he says, by having one mindset. Now, actually, that last one's a little bit redundant because it's very close to the first one. But many people think he's probably meaning by that having one purpose together. By the way, This is one of the reasons in our church we have something called a discovery class. 
When people say, I'm praying about maybe becoming a part of the New Hope family by becoming a member of your church. And this is one of the reasons that we've changed the idea away from membership so much to partnership. Because it sounds like when you're serving the Lord together, it's not just, I'm a member of a church. Uh, My name's on some list. It sounds like we're saying we're pretty close to each other, aren't we? We know each other. We know some things about it. We agree together. We're, we're working together. So write these things down. What should we do? First of all, we should be united. Unity is huge in God's Word. The mind of Christ is not divided. So if I have the mind of Christ and you have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2 says we do, then we should be together, right? Write down Psalm 133. Write down Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says that we should be diligent to preserve the unity of God's Spirit and the bond of peace. We should be working hard to stay together. Are you listening, church family? We should be working hard to stay together, to stay on the same pace, to be united. We should be passionate about that. Write down John chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, where Jesus prayed that as He and the Father are one, that we as His followers would be one. That's, that's pretty big stuff, isn't it? Wow. Number two, He says we should be united. This is things we should do. But number two, He says we should think about others more than ourselves. In verse three, write that down. Second thing in under what we should do is we should think about others more than ourselves. It's a mindset. You can write that beside. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. We're going to come back to that. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. That word regard means to consider. That I should think about, I should consider others more often than I consider myself. Number three, that was more of a mindset. But here's more of an action. In the second part of verse 4, he says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. We'll come back to that one. But also be looking out for the interests of others. So number three, be actively looking for ways that you can help others. Okay, so God challenges us. We need to be, we need to think, we, have, we need to have the mindset of a servant. How does a servant think? A servant says, you know what, I want to be united with God's people. I want to be thinking about other people more often than I'm thinking about myself. And I want to be actively looking for ways that I can help other people in their lives. And here's kind of my question that just sort of encapsulates all of those. Does that describe your life? Okay, then he says, here's some things that we should not do. Okay, so in those verses, there were some things he said we should do. We talked about those, but we also noticed there were some things he said we should not do. He says, do nothing from selfishness. Well, I do almost everything. Do nothing? Couldn't he have said, do, try to limit it more and more? Amen. Amen. Do nothing from selfishness. Apparently God's standards are going to be higher than I can attain. Amen. I'm going to need His help. Amen. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another. We read that. Then in verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. 
Okay, so let's talk about those, and then I'm going to give you a couple things to write under that, what we should not do. That word selfishness means building yourself up at the expense of another. Sounds to me like politics, amen? It actually was a word that they used in political campaigns back during that time. It was basically making yourself look better by making someone else look bad. That's what that word selfishness means. So it's actually a little more specific than selfishness. When I think of selfishness, I just mean if there's two pieces of pie, I want the biggest. Amen? Right? But this has a little more nuance to it. It's basically saying, I'm trying to advance me. And if you get in the way, you lose. Okay, so that's pretty, pretty harsh there. He says, do nothing from that. Do nothing from empty conceit. I like this one. This one's having a high view of yourself that's not based on reality. That's just kind of a creative way of saying you ain't all that. But you think you is. (laughs) Do nothing from conceit, you know, kind of um, over-inflating your own importance. Don't think you're more important And then that be not really backed up, okay? And then we talked about merely, don't look, merely look out for your own things. So what we should not do, write this down. First of all, don't be focused on making yourself look better. And I might put out to the side that, especially by making others look worse. Now, I want to be specific here because you know what? When I hear those kind of things, I'm sitting in a service, a pastor sharing those kind of things, I think to myself, well, I'd never do that. I would never do that. That's mean, right? That is mean. That would be cruel. And y'all are probably thinking the same thing. But let's just do a little reality here. The next time you're in an argument with your spouse, do you sometimes... Try to make them look worse so that you can look better in a situation? I didn't mean to. I'm ashamed to admit I didn't think I was doing that, but now that I look at it, maybe I was. Amen? Okay? Maybe sometimes we don't want to face something, and so, so we sort of compare ourselves to, to someone else. Maybe God's speaking to us about something and, and we begin to kind of put, put it off, maybe making someone else look worse than us. Do we do that? Well, I know I've got this to deal with, but... <laughs> this person, they really have a lot of issues. Amen? Or oh me. <laughs> Alright, number two, don't think you're in a better place than you are. I struggle to even mention this one because there are some of you in this room who are nowhere near doing that. In fact, almost too far in the other direction. Many of you, especially those who are just getting started out in your walk with the Lord, uh, the enemy tells you how wrong you are and how terrible you are. And how much you've, He's an accuser, by the way. Do you know that? We have an enemy who accuses us He's the accuser of the brethren. And so I'm very careful about saying to someone in that position, somebody who, who's struggling with, am I doing anything right? 
I, I struggle with saying to that person, don't think you're in a better place than you are. If you're humbling yourself before God and you're saying, God, just work in my life, you know, I think probably the challenge for this one would be people who've been around the Lord longer. And in fact, if you find yourself breathing a little faster and getting a little ill at me just because I brought it up and getting ready to defend yourself, it might be you. The New Testament scares me. The religious people thing. The more I'm around the things of God, I need to make sure I know the Lord and I follow Him, not all these trappings. Amen? And that I'm not justifying myself based on comparing with other people, but that I'm humbling myself as I compare with Him. And there's no comparison. Again, God's not trying to shame us but we certainly do need to understand that we're dependent upon Him. Amen? Okay? So don't think you're in a better place because you're comparing with others and not Jesus. Somebody said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And all of this is not saying, listen, when we talk about having the same mind, when we talk about having the same purpose, this is not saying that we can't be unique individuals. God created us. God is the most creative one in the universe. Even the idea of creativity. The most creative person in this room, you got that from God. So God's not trying to melt all that away. We don't all have to agree on everything in life. It's not meaning that your specific needs do not matter. This really is describing a group of people who, though they've come from different backgrounds, and haven't we all? We've come from different experiences in life, are willing to humble ourselves, to set aside our difference, and to work hard to serve one another and to serve a world around us together. It's too bad the world doesn't see more churches like that happening. Amen? Guys, I hope I'm not too idealistic. I hope we can do it. I hope we can pull it off. Will you work with me? Will you pray for me? And I'll pray for you that we don't mess it up. That we'll just be the people of God serving Him and serving one another and serving the world around us. These verses say they really are a challenge for us to think like a servant. But secondly, He gives us the example of the greatest servant of all in verses 5 through 8. Being a servant is a challenge, isn't it? But God's not going to ask you to do anything that He's not willing to do first. There's only one reason for you to make it your goal to be a servant. One word, really. Actually, one person. And His name is Jesus. You guys may remember me sharing a story a little while back. I think I shared this example, but I just can't help but come back to it as I think about this. Uh, when we were in North Carolina, I, I've mentioned to you guys before, I've got several mentors in my life, people who've made a difference, many people, but there's a few that are really special. And one of those people uh, was our pastor at the time, and I remember him, uh, he and his wife inviting us over for a special night. And I remember just the way they treated us, I felt like I was the king of something. I mean, I felt like, you know, we were like honored guests in their home. I mean, and I was just Robbie. And if anything, and I don't mean to like put anybody on the pedestal because we shouldn't do that with any human being, but, but I just had such a respect for this man and, and he had made such a difference in my life, I felt like I should be getting his coat, 
You know, and I should be saying, here, you sit down and, and I'll get you something to eat. And, and it wasn't, you know, in an unhealthy way. I just had such a respect and love for him that I felt like that's what I should be doing for him. And, and I, I'll never forget that feeling of a night where they just completely acted like we were the most important people in the world. That was special. That's kind of what's happening in these verses. Paul says, the greatest joy you could provide me is to treat each other like this. But your motivation really ought to be our Lord. The greatest one of all became the greatest servant to all. Listen to what Paul says in verses 5 through 8. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, followers of Jesus. How should I be approaching life? What's the filter through which I should be thinking and seeing things? He said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Paul says, have this attitude, have this mindset. By the way, that's kind of emphasized all the way throughout Philippians. Have this way of thinking in yourself just like Jesus did. Now, what was that? How did Jesus see things? How how did he see himself? Before I get to that, I want you to know something. This is one of the most important passages in the New Testament. It's one of the clear passages that teach us unequivocally that Jesus Christ is God himself. I want to give you some of the others that really just are, are major passages. Write down John chapter 1. Go back and study these things. When people ask you, why do you say that Jesus is God who became man? Why do you say that Jesus is God? John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. Those are all great passages uh, among many. And by the way, the way it's written here, many people believe this was actually a song that was written in the early church that they sang. So that they could remember uh, this uh, special teaching here. But before we get into it, let let me give you the point. The point was not, I believe, primarily to prove or to demonstrate that Jesus is God. That's not the primary reason. Paul's not fighting against people arguing that I don't believe Jesus is God. That's not the primary point, I believe. It was primarily to say this. Let me remind you of who your Savior is. And if He is willing to serve you... Amen. See where that's going? This is what these verses say about Jesus, though. It says, although, in spite of the fact that he existed in the form of God, that word existed is a word that means continually. It emphasizes his pre-existence. It means he does exist as God, and he always has been. He does exist and always has existed in the very form of God. That word, that, that word form describes an outward form of an inward reality that never changes. Now, there was another Greek word for form that could change. And let me just give you an example of that. The example would be this. A little boy that's born is a human, right? 
He, he comes into this world in the form of a what? Of a human. But that little boy changes form over time, right? He's a little boy, and then he's a toddler, and then he's a teenager, and then he's a man. So he changes form in that sense. The word that's used here would have been that first one. That little boy was born in the form of humanity. So even though some of his form changes, some of it never changes. That's the word that's used here. That Jesus Christ has always existed as God. Okay, so Jesus is God, but it says in this passage, He did not regard, now this ought to blow you away, He did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Isn't that kind of confusing? This is a difficult passage to translate into English. It means literally something to be clutched or to be seized or fought for or clung to. And you may have heard me share this before. The way I kind of interpret this or paraphrase it is, Jesus did not leave heaven kicking and screaming. He didn't say, why do I have to do that? Of all people in the universe, don't y'all know who I am? I don't want to go. Don't you see the mess that's down there? Even though he was God, he is God, he was God, he did not think that he was too good to serve. He didn't fight. He didn't assert himself. He didn't say, I don't deserve this. Have you ever thought to yourself, why should I have to serve? Let somebody else do it. That was not Jesus thinking. Instead of that, the Bible says he emptied himself. Now again, we're just sharing in one message. We could go back and spend a whole series, at least several messages on this passage. So you need to go back and dig into this a little bit deeper. But this is a phrase here that has actually been long debated. What does it mean that he emptied himself? Well, here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that Jesus ceased to be God. He never started being God. He never stopped being God. The Bible clearly teaches He has always been God. And He still is to this day. Here's the point. But for a time, we seem to observe in His Word that He... Now, I'm going to say kind of a long phrase here and I'm going to try to break it down. Jesus, for a time, voluntarily laid aside the independent use of his attributes as God. Okay? He voluntarily said, for a while, I'm going to submit, remember how he would say, to the Father? Okay? The independent use of his attributes as God. He didn't cease being God, but he limited, he self-limited himself. Now every once in a while, he'd say, in case y'all forgot, he pulled back the curtain, right? Even the disciples said, uh, the Old Testament says that only the wind and the sea obeys who? God. And he tells them what to do, so what does that mean? He's God, right? On the Mount of Transfiguration, something special happened, right? That was a little bit of the curtain being pulled back, and uh, in case y'all forgot, he is God. What else? It says he took the form of a bondservant, of a slave. Being made in the likeness of man, he became a man 
And he humbled himself. Again, notice that voluntary service. So much, he humbled himself to the point of death. And oh my goodness, if that wasn't enough, even death on a cross. About the worst that we as human beings can come up with to hurt each other. I used to struggle with that. I was like, well, I know, and you know, I'm a thinker, and I used to kind of, well, I know, but other people died on crosses, so, I mean, why was it so hard? And then one day, it just kind of came to me, I realized, but on that cross, he became the lightning, God of, the lightning rod of God's wrath. He paid for your sins, what you cannot carry tonight, what is, swamp, what is drowning you tonight, he took upon himself and everybody else in this room, and everybody who's ever lived Nobody is even close to what Jesus did for us. Have you ever thought about it? No missionary ever traveled farther than Jesus. No missionary ever gave up more than our Lord. No one ever sacrificed more. Nobody ever came from heaven to this messy earth, died, died a cruel death, took upon himself, was blamed for everybody else. Nobody else ever did that. In light of that, and listen, friends, listen. At New Hope, we're not about guilt or, you know, or that kind of stuff, putting your thumb on somebody, but, but, but we are about challenge. I can't take away the challenge of God's Word. In light of that, How must my unwillingness to serve others look from heaven's perspective? Again, God doesn't say that to us to guilt us, to make us feel like, you know, idiots or to make us, you know, feel terrible or lowly. He says it to challenge us because this is the truth. You're going to get joy from serving. That leads us to the last thing, the rewards for being God's servant. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Before we read those verses, let me ask you a question. You just sitting there in your seat tonight, let me ask you a question. What is it that you are looking for in your life? Have you thought about it? What is it? What is it in my heart? What is it that I'm wanting? What is it that I'm longing for? What is it that I'm missing? Isn't it that happiness? That joy, that fulfillment, that rightness, that purpose, that place to serve and to be and to belong? Can I share something with you tonight? The Bible says, basically it sounds right here, as I heard somebody say one time, the way up is down. That's what this passage is saying. God wants you to go up. But the way up starts by going down. Somebody else put it like this. True joy comes from J-O-Y. Jesus, others, then yourself. That's why I think the I am second thing should be I am third. (laughs) It's Jesus first, then others, then yourself. That's where true joy comes from. And that's not going to come naturally for us. In fact, it goes against my sin nature. Amen, anybody? This doesn't seem right in some sense to me. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is probably something stirring in your heart that's fighting that sin nature. Right down Romans 7, there's a battle going on in your heart. 
Because Romans 7 says, I know there's some things that God is wanting to do, but there's something in me fighting that. Amen? Verses 9 through 11 tell us this. It says, for this reason also. And don't forget, we left on a bad note. The last thing we read. He died. He died terribly, tragically, shamefully. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, super exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. A name uh, was descriptive in the Bible of a person's nature, their character. Jesus has no, he's above everybody else's nature and character. He gave him a name which is above all, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Though it looked bad, real bad, the Bible says God turned it around, and now Jesus has been super exalted. Now, Jesus is special, so you don't be looking for all that, okay? (laughs) But in a sense... We are co-heirs with Christ, aren't we? In a sense, we share in that reward. But the point is this. This is God's way. This is the way to live my life. If I want true joy, this is how it comes. It comes by serving others. The place that you are trying to go has to go that way. Now, let me read the last few verses. He gives them some challenge in verses 12 through 16. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. What Paul is saying is, I've challenged you to live like a servant. Now, let God do it. And by the way, I like it because he says, work out your salvation. This must be a keep on. This is not meaning... Uh, work for your salvation. Okay? It says work out your salvation. I'm trying to figure out, like Paul says later in Philippians 3, what God got a hold of me for. Amen? Okay, work it out. It sounds like living this way is going to be a part of me working it out. And some of you say, well, I'll do it, but I won't like it. Well, you got your number. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Amen. Don't do it with grinding teeth or complaining or arguing, but shine. Because this is going to look different, for sure. Then in verses 17 through 18, it's kind of a closing summary to the whole thing. Let me read that to you. But even if, I'm being, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, this is beautiful language. And you know what? If we hadn't been in church tonight, you may have read this and not even understood what it was saying and missed it. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice 
in the same way and share your joy with me. Many times, listen, don't miss this. It's a little technical, but don't miss the picture. Many times when an offering was being made, as kind of a secondary afterthought, there would be sort of a drink offering poured over it as, it was, as that offering was being offered up. Okay, so it's not the main offering. That is how Paul describes his view of his life. He was living his life so that your life could be offered up to God. And if all I am is an afterthought for your sacrifice, isn't that beautiful? I exist so that you can do well before God. And if all I am is just an afterthought over the top of your offering, I rejoice in that role. And don't feel sorry for me. Rejoice with me. What an example of serving. Amen? Let me give you some closing challenges. Maybe God will give you more, but, but I want you to think about a couple of things. Maybe you would write a couple of these down. How would I be living my life different if I were thinking of others more. You know, I thought about this all week this week. I have no desire as your pastor to give you a motivational speech that gives you warm and fuzzies and we all, oh yes, this is beautiful, this is wonderful. Oh. And then we leave and we forget about it. And it made no real difference in any of our lives. Please tell me if that's what we're doing and we'll do something else next week. So I thought to myself, God, How can we leave here thinking to ourselves, God, I want to think about other people more. Amen? And and even as I think about it, I think about some of you that are serving your life. I think of other people more than I'll be dead, okay? You've got to ask God. You've got to ask God what's healthy and what's right and what He's calling you to do and figure out all that expectations, yours and other people and all this. But I'm just saying for most of us, we're not struggling with over-serving others. It might even be that in our serving, we're serving ourselves if we need that, you know, approval or whatever. So we've got we to gotta ask God to help us through all that. Amen? Is your life being lived with a little bit of God challenge and then just real life and maybe I'll help somebody along the way? Or are you orienting your life with God's help in such a way that I can truly make a difference in the lives of others? Okay, so think about that one. Second thing is this. Does serving others, as we think about it in God's Word, seem exemplary or normal as a follower of Jesus? We want to make it exemplary, don't we? Serving is, oh, wow, you're such a servant. Oh, wow, I admire. Oh, wow. Sometimes I think the reason we put people on a pedestal is because that means we can excuse ourselves. I actually, I was just listening to a message from another pastor on the way over, and and it just was reaffirming that he said exactly the same thing. Being a servant is just what we do. It's not like something we get a prize for. Now, thank God, we can never outgive Him. He's going to reward us. Do you see what I'm saying? This is like normal, should be, for a follower of Jesus, not odd. 
And then this final question, could it be that my life is so miserable because I'm living it primarily for myself? There is a secret that you would have never found on your own unless Jesus told you. And there is a secret that you will never experience on your own unless Jesus empowers you. And that is that you will never truly find life until you die to self and rise in Christ. And His example is sacrificially laying my life down so that others can have better. Have you found it tonight? Would you pray with me? Would you bow your head for just a moment? Be still. Be careful. Don't get distracted. God's got your attention right now. Where do you start, God? Would you just ask Him that tonight? Just be honest with Him. All the questions you have. Where do I start, God? There's no more time in my day. There's no more time. I'm chasing around little kids. I think the problem is that we're thinking about other people's expectations. You have all that you need to fulfill God's will for your life. If you don't have it, God will give it to you. So tonight, just start with, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? How can my life just be a drink offering for others? That I could help them be better and be and, and receive the joy of just, it's not even about me. I don't even care. Lord, I just want you to be glorified and others to be better off. Maybe you're here tonight and you're trying really hard to work to impress God. Can I just share something freeing with you tonight, friend? You don't have to do that. First of all, you can't do that. He's a holy God. He's a big God. He never expected you to do a bunch of little tricks for Him to make Him happy. He just wants you tonight. Do you say, Jesus, I'm not going to be able to serve others until I first allow you to serve me. Just like my pastor serving me, that's hard to do, isn't it? You've got to be willing to humble yourself. Say, okay, God, go ahead and do what you want to do. I receive you. I accept you. Do your work in my life. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us things we would not learn on our own. Help us to receive them. Right now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.